No subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. And tonight, no warning. We're coming at you hot on a Thursday night uh, with an episode. I kind of mentioned this at the end of Ruck's Giving. It was like uh, there was really only one show I, w- I wanted to do this week, um, and it was a Hellier show. So uh, as luck would have it, we managed to get a couple of the Hellier team here to talk about it. Uh, if you well, we'll talk a little bit and sort of set you all up. But if you're not aware, the second season of the outstanding uh, online docuseries series Hellier dropped uh, on Black Friday, and it's been the talk of the paranormal community really ever since. Uh, everybody's talking about it. All well, I can sound like a dick, but all the smart people are t- are talking about it. All the people who are kind of hip to, to 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 the real like shit on the edges and the fringe and stuff like that, and the people, the deep students of this stuff. Um, are talking about this show because it delves into all that stuff, and it's absolutely outstanding. I wrote a big write-up uh, about it at the Coast to Coast AM website. Uh, and so as luck would have it, as I said, we got a couple of the folks from Hell Year 2 here uh, on the program. Greg Newkirk, who's been on the show in the past. He's an old friend of Been All of America. And a new friend of Been All of America, Carl Pfeiffer, he is the, the, he's the director. He directed all this. Uh, he was the man behind the camera who really uh, put it all together, and it's absolutely beautiful. It's one of the – I've said this repeatedly in both of my reviews of the series. It's it's as good – as good, I don't know, better. I don't know. It's, it could be on – it could be on, like, network television, and I wouldn't be like, oh, this looks like some guy, in, you know, in the paranormal community filmed it. Uh, it's like it, – it, it's beautiful. It was perfect. It, it's absolutely fantastically well made. It's uh, It really is – it could stand up against any – anything out there on television anywhere as far as like the aesthetics of it it's really really well done uh so carl greg welcome to been all of america thank you so much for doing this i know you guys have uh been swamped with hell your stuff since the drop last uh friday dude anything for you Tim? <laughs> <Thanks, man. laughs> thank you thank you uh yeah i really do appreciate it and like i said uh uh, we'll start out with Carl. As I said, Carl's sort of he, – he's the director. He put this all together. What's, this is really an intense sort of not just the journey of Hellier, but also then you have to sew it all together. So I guess talk a little bit about what that experience was like and, and how you're feeling now that this is out into the world. Whew, it's, uh, it's been a process. Um, 
especially this the second season, uh, compared to the first, um, the first was a very kind of linear, straightforward story. It got weird, it got complex, it got subtle, but uh, the in telling it, we shot for like two weeks, you know, uh, it was a couple of days that we were down in the Heli area in Eastern Kentucky. The first episode was mostly backstory, uh, catching everyone up to speed and it was pretty much A to B. So season two now, um, anyone who's familiar with it and those who aren't, it's, it's all over the place. If you, if you watch the season unfold, you'll see the different states kind of go and start to get a little bit scrambled if you're paying careful attention how that calendar works. Um, because the story is so complex and takes so many twists and turns that the only way to really tell it to kind of carry the audience on board with that story uh, is to do it in a nonlinear fashion. And that was tough to wrap my brain around for a couple of months in the edit day because there were plenty of times that it just it just felt like chaos. So I had my work it out for me for about a year there, uh, trying to put the 10 episodes of, of Hellier 2 together. And it mostly just feels good now to have it out. A little overwhelming in a creative sense, uh, a little postpartum depression, but uh, just thrilling <laughs> to get online every day and, and hear the response and like reviews like yours, uh, you know, it's heartwarming and, and exciting and inspiring as they are. Now it's just killing me that, that we're not uh, out to do more immediately right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Greg, what's it been like for you because uh, I've known you a long time, and it's funny. We haven't talked for the show since uh, the first season Hellier dropped. I didn't really do a very good right. job sort of like setting people up with what this is all about, but I'm kinda, I feel like we're just coming to the Hellier audience. So if you, know, if you don't know what Hellier is, go and watch it. Watch the first season. Watch the second season. In short, I'll do a super thumbnail version. It's like Greg and his wife Dana and Carl and Connor Randall – we're following up on this story of a goblin sighting um, in Hellier, Kentucky. That was the first season. It got increasingly strange, um, and it's a really uh, richly detailed uh, series. Then it just came back this past Black Friday, and as Carl said, it just got exponentially weirder and more complex, and it doesn't seem to be much about goblins anymore. We'll kind of get into that, but, uh, you know, it'll it'll uh, – it, it it got into all kinds of weirdness essentially. So that's that's the that's the basic setup. Listen, so folks should go watch and watch the show, it. you lazy bastards. Watch the show. It's <laughs> yeah, free. just watch it. It's, it's on YouTube. Go watch it. The second season is on Amazon Prime. Go watch it. Otherwise, we're going to spoil everything for you. Well, we're definitely going to spo- yeah. Well, we're going to spoil it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're going to spoil it for you folks who haven't seen it yet. So you know, I cannot recommend this enough, folks. You know I don't rave about too much stuff uh, here on the show unless it's good, you know. If I didn't if I didn't think it was awesome, I wouldn't have chased these guys down like less than a week after it, <laughs> after it aired. So, um, But as I said, I've, I've known you for a long time, Greg, relatively, and we've had you on the show a few times. And it's like back, back when I first met you, this was like this hadn't happened. Well, I mean, I think maybe the second time by the time I interviewed you, you were kind of in the midst of it. But I sort of, I guess the the mania, the hell your mania, that's kind of, you know, been a part of everything like since January, and now is sort of like a lot, much like the second season. It's even bigger. This this just this this frenzy about this case, really. I guess what's it been like for you? Because I mean, it's it seems like. 
you had a nice you had a nice thing going there with the museum. Not like you don't have it anymore, but it's it's like yeah. now you're thrust in the midst of this again, this this phenomenon that that is like wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's weird, man. I you know, I think we all knew, we all had a sense that we were doing something really special. You know, even in the in the first season when we saw when we saw what Carl had started to create with this we knew there was something about it, um, and we knew that even more during the second season. I mean, I, I, I felt so much excitement as Carl kept building the edits. There was a point before we shot the back half of the season where Carl came out and he showed us the rough cuts of the first seven episodes, and I, I remember looking at him and going, dude, this is going to be big. <laughs> we just had a sense. And, yeah. uh, you know, you can feel that, but seeing it happen is a whole other thing. And um, I'm, I, I'm just floored at the response to it. And I think it's because, you know, regardless of what you think about the case, regardless of whether you're into cryptozoology or ufology or ghosts or whatever, um, that's, there's something about Hellier that speaks to people. And that I think yeah. is why we're, we know we're doing something special because it's speaking to people. And so I'm just, I'm just, you know, flabbergasted that uh, people are responding the way that they are. Yeah, I mean, I understand in a sense because it's fucking awesome. So, so, like, I can see why tons of people <laughs> like it. But there's, like, I likened it in my review of the season to – it really reminds me of, like, Lost. It reminds me of, like uh, – you don't see this with really any other paranormal programs where, like, this community has been built up that they're now investigating parts of this and it and they're like picking through all these details and it's like I've never seen anything like that with a paranormal show ever really it's really like it's been fascinating to watch unfold um I'll I'll throw that to you Greg so expound on that idea well I think that that's that's the fascinating thing about what we've done. And I was, I mean, I, I was initially a bit resistant to this, but we've essentially democratized this case. And you don't really ever see that happen with any other active case. You don't really see that with paranormal shows in general, particularly because when you see these projects, they have an endpoint. They already know, like, here's the, you know, the beginning, the middle, and the end. They have all their acts written out. With this, Carl had done a really masterful job of, of particularly the second season making this something that works as a story even though it's not you know the, the through the through line happens in an interesting way Carl had to tell it sort of uh, you know non-linearly um, so there's a lot of interesting things that are happening in Hellier that allow people to go in and I mean my favorite thing about it is people are buying books there's like a 20 plus deep book list that people yeah, can buy yeah. that will catch them up to the stuff that we're doing. And my, one of my favorite episodes of, of the second season is, is episode six, which is actually the release of the first season. And it shows yeah, you what an yeah, important thing it was making this thing free and putting this thing out into the world for free because that became part of the case. We got tons and tons of emails. We got big leads that we followed in the second season because we released it for free. So I think that's part of the reason people are resonating with it so much is because we're, we're giving them a toolbox and saying here, you know, this is what we've learned. Take what you need and leave the rest. 
and go do your own research. You know, it doesn't have to be yeah. in this case. It can be in any case. Yeah, I mean, I was completely blown away by, uh, I don't know, I guess it's it's my show, it's not the show, so I can say, Ren Collier, how he made that thing, that, com- oh, that yeah. computer program, that was like, right. th- that to me like kind of crystallized the whole sort of like phenomenon, frenzy of this, where it was like, okay, this dude just made the thing, so now you can <laughs> do your own shit, put your own right. name in, whatever, you know, it was crazy. Now, Carl, when in, you... In, in- Oh, go ahead, Greg. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, and he, there's there've been multiples of those made. <laughs> that was just the first one. There's there's a bunch of people who have made different programs, and they work a little bit differently. And that's like you said, that's part of what's so crazy about this is it's affecting people in such a way that they're contributing to the case in whatever way that they can. Okay, now we just brought somebody else in, so we'll see if it's someone from the Hellier team or if it's one of these crazed fans. Because I <laughs> 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 know uh, I was afraid uh, is, when I yeah, who's this, this is on Randy. the line? Hi, Randy, guys. who? Uh, Anderson. Oh, uh, you're I've a fan. Never called in before. Yeah, yeah, I've never called. Oh, in yeah, before. okay. We don't really do call-ins. I thought maybe you were someone from the Hellier show, but yeah, I'll, I'll allow you one question, Randy, and then I'm gonna have to let you go. Are you, do you not take uh, calls on the show? No, I'm like an extremely selfish host, and I want a guest all to myself. So, uh, okay. Uh, yeah, you I know. pretended I, you were Tyler, Randy. So, real quick. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I figured it was. Quick, two, 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 <laughs> two questions, real quick. First question oh, Jesus. is, where is this based? Where is this show based out of? Like, what state? Kentucky. Oh, so you haven't seen Kentucky. the show. I've seen parts of it, like, uh, but I've never really been able to nail it down because I think my wife watches it more than I do. She's watched it on YouTube quite a bit. And the second question is, where are you guys? Uh, are you guys close to that location? Like, do you guys, what state do you guys live in? Okay. <laughs> Carl's from Colorado. Carl and Connor are from out in Colorado. Tyler's from Pennsylvania, and we're right on the border of Kentucky and Ohio, basically the Cincinnati area. So it's uh, yeah. it's a haul for us to make this show. Yeah, I noticed that. There's a lot of traveling in the show. I just let Randy go because uh, I, I, that was a strange sort of call. No offense to Randy, but it was like, how did you just stumble <laughs> upon this fucking program? Like, Thanks, why? Randy. <laughs> Thank you, Randy. Um, and what did he say? What, is, what was the show? What, what, I don't understand the question. Like, what was the show based on or something? It <laughs> he, was, did, he didn't know where the show was based. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like, hell, you're Kentucky, Randy. Yeah, what a weird Jesus Christ. Very rural, very very rural Kentucky, and the second season expands a bit. Um, there's a little bit of uh, West Virginia in there too, and uh, you know there's some, there's Tennessee and Georgia and a few other places. There you go. Now, <laughs> what a weird moment. Now, Connor, as <laughs> I the, love doing as your the, show, Tim. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to warn Connor. I mean, sorry, I'm just going to warn Randall. Uh, what the fuck am I doing? I was going to warn Carl. Jesus, I'm getting thrown all these names now from the guy who just called that. I was going to warn Carl. This is the perfect segue. It was a very unconventional program, so <laughs> forgive me uh, if we go off on all these tangents. But now, when you – I guess you knew when you were filming that scene at the end – the tin can scene, you know, the final sort of thing at the end of season one, like in your mind, that was it for you guys. That was sort of like the end of this thing. And then you took a pause and then 
started filming again. Because like, I guess you were talking sort of about the timeline and how it's a bit confounding. And I noticed that in a sense where it was like it starts – it takes place after the obviously the after the events of Hell Year One, but it's like not after the series has come out because that comes later down the line. I really liked how it sort of plays with time like that. But I guess I'm just asking, sort of like when you filmed that, then you guys wrapped it up and you started going to work on making season one, essentially. Yeah, I did. Um, I think we always we kind of knew in a lot of ways going down to film season one. We had no idea what it was going to be by the end of filming season one. We knew. There was enough meat there that if we could tell it would be probably a multiple episode thing turned into five episodes. And we knew that because that was kind of the first foray, the first little endeavor into that area of Kentucky that we only managed to do like four or five days there. We knew that there was more dangling for us and questions that we wanted to cover. Um, but a lot like the, the first season, we didn't know if those were wind up going anywhere. And if we wound up kind of left with, nothing really to show for the research. I think that season two might have kind of dissolved or not really turned into something. Um, but very much the research and the leads that we found in the year after shooting Hellier uh, that are picked up in the first episode of season two, that is 14 months later, enough stuff happened in that year during our time of research uh, that yeah. we took some of the footage that we had from that time and, and we said, let's dive back in. Let's go on back out and, uh, and continue the story and see where it leads. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I got to credit you guys because uh, Greg sent me – I don't really – I'm kind of lazy, I'll admit it. So when uh, Greg sent me the the press thing, and I remembered that I, – I, I'm an idiot. So I essentially it – was, it was, the press thing had like five episodes. So I'm like, oh, it's on here because the other thing was five episodes. <laughs> so, like, I watched them, and then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. There's, there's another five more. That was – as a fan, I was like, holy shit, there's, they actually they made more shit. They doubled the number of episodes. This is absolutely awesome. This is the coolest, you know, it was for, for any fan of any show, that's like the ultimate holy shit moment. And, uh, and I got to credit you guys, too. I don't think anybody would have complained if you guys didn't uh, – if you guys, like, you know, if, if the second season didn't come out till like, January or even, like, the summer of 2020 or something. To me, it's like, I was just completely blown away, too. You put out all this shit uh, less than a year after the first season came out. That's, like, <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> Carl, Carl goes, I'm thinking we should put this thing out on Black Friday. And I was like, dude, are you insane? <laughs> He's like, I think I can do it. I think I can do it. And I was like, well, shit, man. If you think you can do it, we'll we'll stand behind it and we'll push it. But uh, I think Carl, Carl, Carl and Connor had a nice stressful uh, stressful couple of weeks there towards the end. It was a a good experience that I'm not in a hurry to repeat again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. All right, now we got someone else on the line. Let's see if it's from the Hellier team or another very weird caller. So, uh, caller, uh, you're on the air. Do we do we know you? Yes, hey, guys, how's it going? I was calling because of the, the bear man in the part of season two, and he comes out of the woods, and he was he, he looking like a bear, and it was a scary thing, you know, stupid head. <laughs> Is this you like someone you know? Is this... Is this, uh, yeah, yeah, I know. And the bear came exactly out and he went mugging, you know. Have you guys ever been mugging, I, you know? I when think you're talking about Grey Revenant. 
when you guys go to a graveyard and you dig up a fresh corpse and you and your friends all fuck it and come inside of it and then your friend puts his mouth over the vagina and the other guy doesn't oh know my God. Of a, yeah, and shoots all the sperm and the maggots into your mouth. You know what I mean? Oh, Jesus. Yeah, of, co- yeah. of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, this is good, man. I really like this show, you stupid. Thank you. Wow. You what was that, dude? Was that someone you know? That was like Colorado <laughs> area code. No, that was. I am, I am dude, no this has never idea. happened. This has like never happened on my show before. <laughs> like we almost never get callers, and when we do get callers, like they're nothing like that. That was that was strange. Oh, uh, this is gonna be a fun show. Do you have like friends purposely fucking with me, Greg? No, I swear to God, I have no friends. Not not that I know of, at least. Jesus Christ. All right, well, let's get to the real fucking... <laughs> let's get to, like, the real real sort of, like, uh, we'll, we'll really dive into sort of the issues here. We'll sort of skip... We'll, we'll stop dancing around shit, I guess. What, what do you think... Because when I was writing up the review for Coast to Coast, it was sort of like a struggle, because to me it was like the first season was about trying to find out what the fuck this guy was talking about with these goblins, right? That was a pretty, you know, as crazy as it sounds, that's a pretty cut and dry thing. And so the other part that uh, we got another caller on the line, but we're going <laughs> to make it fucking wait. <laughs> Come on, Tim. Do it, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll do it. Let's see what they got. It's a grab bag. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. You guys attract some real wild people. All right, caller, you're on the air. What's going on? Hey, uh, I just had a question for Greg. Uh, yeah, shoot. Go for it. <laughs> when you were first getting into, uh, you know, all this stuff, and it started turning into just from being ghosts into everything else, and then having to, like, portray that and try to convince other people that it's not just one area of expertise kind of thing, like, how do you get that through to people in a sense, I guess? Or how did you, like, come about the idea with, like, the John Kill stuff and everything. Uh, I mean, it, it really, a lot of it started, honestly, with hanging out with people who believe different things than I did. Yeah, I mean, I think that's super important, and I think if that's one thing I'd love for people to take away from Hellier, it's, it's hang out with the craziest person you know. And yeah. even if you don't believe what they believe in, you know, I, I went and I hung out with a Bigfoot hunter from Elmira, New York. His name is Tim Holmes. And we ended up making a little crappy handy cam documentary with him and that got me started going wow there's something to this and so we'd, we'd go and we'd hang out with other people and then eventually i started to realize well shoot there's there's so many parallels between what you know bigfoot hunters experience and what ghost hunters experience and then what ufo contactees experience and then you start to seek out information like that so you start to read stuff like like keel and you start to read stuff like valley and uh, I think it's just a matter of putting it in a way that people understand. So, you know, I wrote an article years ago that just was called Bigfoot is a Ghost. And it was such a ridiculous sounding title that people had to read it. And in there, I could just lay out, well, this is why these things overlap. And it's, it's tough, man. It's really tough. Um, I think, I mean, ask any of the hellier guys. You know, we all came from a, a ghost hunting background, like a paranormal investigation background, not cryptozoology. You know, not ufology. I've learned more about ufology and cryptozoology and magic working on Hellier than I have from anything else. 
but I think that shows why it's so important to do things that maybe you don't, you don't find comfort in or that might disagree with what you already believe about a certain topic. Um, and, and I think Carl's done a really great job of making this piece of work that shows to people, look, here are the crossovers on all of this stuff. Here's the books. Go do your own research. And then people can do it for themselves because you can, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. It's up to the person. They have to want to do the research. They have to want to open their mind enough to, to see it. We're just leading them there. There you go. All right. That was a normal caller, but that's a, that's a normal question. So let's talk about uh, what's happening here in Season 2. Because as I, when I was writing the review, as I said before, it's like the it's, – it's no longer about goblins. It's, it's become so, about something – I couldn't quite put my finger on it myself, and I, I, I guess I kind of came out of it being like, well, these these guys, this crew, the hell you guys, they're trying to like, it seems like they're trying to establish some kind of communication with whatever, whatever, some kind of other intelligence, some kind of other, and it was like, because like some dude on Facebook today was like, uh, when I announced the show, and I'm not, I don't want to like diss him, but he was like, ah, I like the first no, season okay. until he got into all that. I know I'm about to, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's like, ah, I like the first season until they got into all that ghost hunting stuff. And it was like, now, you guys do a lot of experiments. We're going to get into the experiments. We should, I should start looking at these notes. Um, but you guys do a lot of experiments. But I can honestly say, and I've seen all the shows and shit, not just Hellier, but all these different shows. So I understand where this guy is kind of coming from. But having been a part of watching this show... To me, at no point during the second season, while you guys were doing these experiments, did I ever, did it ever, ever cross my mind that you were communicating with a ghost? Like, there was no, it just, so when he said that, I'm like, what the fuck do you mean ghost, like ghost hunting shit? Like, I guess, I guess some of that stuff is, like the Estes thing is used with ghost hunting, but to me it was like I never even conceived of the idea that this was some kind of like trying to communicate with a ghost per se. Like you guys seem to be trying, trying or were in some kind of communication with some kind of other intelligence, it seemed. Um, so I guess speak to that, Greg. That's kind of a deep question, but I think you can, you know, what do you think you guys are fucking dealing with here is the, is the, is the big enchilada question. I mean, I, I think we're dealing with the other whatever it is, you know, I think one of the things that we've been trying to set up and, and, and show people is this idea that all of this phenomena is probably somehow connected. I'm not saying that like someone's grandma is an alien or anything like that. You know, the, the ghost of their grandma is like extraterrestrial. But what I'm saying is I think all of this stuff probably is, operates from the same place. And that's a lot of what it seems like we're being led to do. We joke all the time about how, the the real the real executive producer of the sh- of the show is the phenomena. We just right. kind of go where we're supposed to go and do what we think we're supposed to do, and we're making this thing on behalf of whatever intelligence this is. And so that's what we're trying to show people is um, I, I don't know what we're contacting. You know, there's, a, there's obviously a yeah no I know I, that's, yeah. <laughs> At, at the end of season two, I mean, there's a few curveballs thrown in there when it comes to who or what we're talking to. And yeah. I think, you know, Tyler says it best. 
he has a line in, in this particular episode where he says, you know, one man's angel is another man's alien. I think they're just masks. Right, right. I think a lot of these things are masks, and I don't see any reason why it seems ridiculous to use a tool that probably is a way to to channel. Like it's just modern channeling. People didn't just channel ghosts. They channeled they channeled gods and Jesus on Mars, and they channeled aliens and all kinds of different stuff. I know people who channel Bigfoot. Why couldn't yeah. we just channel whatever we want, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. I probably should have put that question in a different way where it's like, am I am I wrong in sort of interpreting it this way? Because it sounds like I'm not because you said the same thing where it's no, like, no, no, no. we don't know what the hell you're talking to, but it it's not like a, a, you guys aren't ghost hunting here. You're not like – you're not like you're not trying to talk to the goblin or whatever anymore. It's like you don't. Who the fuck knows what you're talking to? I think at this point the goblins are more of a, a metaphor for right, uh, right. You know, something that we're chasing that we may never find. But in that act of chasing, the things that we're finding are far more important. And so, but but here's the thing: we're fighting a lot with with Hellier, making Hellier. We're fighting a lot of predisposition uh, that, that has been set up by 10, 15 years of paranormal television telling people this is easy. This is what it is. This is what it's like. You use this tool to do this. And by the end, you're going to get scratched by the scary ghost and you exercise it. And there you go. Um, or yeah. you're, you're going to have a very close encounter with the Bigfoot and it's just going to be right off, off camera. That's what people are anticipating with uh, going into a show they know is a paranormal show. So when they watch Hellier, it, it, it invokes a much different feeling because they're as frustrated as we are when those types of things don't happen. And so they kind of internalize it, and I think it makes people angry. Yeah, yeah. I think, we, I, think I talked to you after the first season. We kind of joked about it where it's like – People who watch the show, who go into watching the show and are like, oh, they didn't have a fucking goblin at the end. It's like, dude, what are you, crazy? (laughs) Wow, what a fucking surprise. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, I can't believe there are people who are out there, that there are people out there who think that, who are like, well, they didn't fucking have a goblin at the end. So it's like, Jesus Christ, you missed the whole point of the whole show, dude. (laughs) Right. This and line, and you I mean, thought they'd fucking film happen. a goblin and like wait like six months or whatever. To... <laughs> <laughs> right. Like if you guys right. were filming season three and you and you filmed the fucking goblin, I'd like to think you'd like <laughs> at least Dude, be like, we, we can barely keep, hey, there's a still the goblin now. Wait till season three. As it is. Yeah. Right. Oh my god. Oh shit! It's the second time you and I'm not letting some of these people on, dude. You wouldn't believe how many people are calling in. The last guy was so <laughs> not the last guy. He was cool, but some guy in the chat started sending me hateful, like nasty fucking messages. It was very uh, none of this shit's ever happened to me before, so I don't know what. <laughs> well, uh, we're very we have a very passionate group of people following us from both ends of the spectrum, Tim. <laughs> is that true? Because I it is, let's it is talk a little bit about true, that. Man. Because I, I haven't seen, thankfully, I really haven't seen, like, any hate. I've seen some kind of, like, bitchy criticism, but not, like, not necessarily, like, hate, per se. But I no. imagine that that you do have a lot of people who are kind of, like, 
who are haters, if you will, without, you know, I don't know what to call them, you know, but you know what I'm saying. I want to hear Carl talk right. about this. Cause Carl, here to talk about this, because this is actually something you've made, so it must be even more. It's an interesting <laughs> dichotomy. Like, you made the show. Greg is in the show. It, he, you both experienced it, really, but but you're, this is like your baby. So, I mean, what, what do you what, – what, what's your response to – I guess, like, the, I, I imagine some people are like, it's all fake, it's fake. It's like, dude – I can't imagine anyone who thinks it's fake, but there, there are people like that. But, I mean, what's what's been yeah. your response to sort of any negative reaction to this? <laughs> I mean, it's a roller coaster. Right on the surface, like, I can't handle any negative. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the first season, I think I, I could do all of our platforms for, like, a day. And then, like, YouTube was immediately done. I was like, I can't read these anymore. It's like, I can read. Oh, yeah, you shouldn't read any of that shit. Yeah, well, you know, even... You know, as soon as I see like one, I'm I'm just I get crushed. It's that creative cliche where I can read, you know, dozens of positive reviews, but as soon as I read a bad one, I'm just like, uh, my soul. You know, um, so I I've learned better now for season two to avoid that, but I'm kind of stunned by how like how much more article there was and how much more positive reaction there is this time around. Um, I think I think. Right, right on the surface, I think, like, as a creative, you have plenty of doubts in your own work. You're like, is this any good? I don't like this today, you know? And any kind of negative critique, I think, is just kind of like, it feels like it reaffirms that self-doubt where you're like, oh, God, maybe it does that. So that's like... I hear you saying, yeah. But the next little, yeah, the next little down for me, though, it's, it's a really fascinating one because I have to remember the fact that that I was trying to make something that I wanted to see, and my tastes are certainly not universal. I, like you know, high-concept, artsy stuff. And that's not going to appeal to the broad audience. So telling me yeah. off that I was making something, that was not going to appeal to everyone. And then beyond that still, I was trying to make something, a documentary project about weird paranormal subjects. And I wanted to do it in a cinematic fashion. I wanted to shoot it with an anamorphic lens. I wanted it to look more akin to a movie than a paranormal show that everyone kind of knows. So right from the beginning, right from the get-go, I'm kind of like manipulating the audience's uh, like level of expectation, where people what they watch a trailer, they watch you know part of the first episode, and they don't know if it's a scripted show or if it's supposed to be a real show, and that I think puts them on the back foot, and I like it because it's from a you know high concept deconstructive standpoint. Like I think that it opens people up to like new ideas in that regard, and. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Now, hold on, Carl. You sound like you're like underwater. What, what's going on with your phone? Are you, uh, uh, what? Are you in a bad spot? I'm being abducted by aliens. <laughs> I haven't used so if I'm, uh, yeah, I don't know why it would be different. I can. Uh, you sound good now. Yeah, that sounded good better. Well, but before, yeah, you were kind of fading in and out a little bit. My left ear must be underwater, but my right ear is still above the the sea line. So. Yeah, that actually yeah, you sound a lot better now, right, Greg? You kind of hear it, right? Yeah, no, you sound a lot better. Yeah. All right, good, good. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, all right. So that's it's interesting. Yeah. Um, let me see where I I want to ask you about. Maybe we'll segue to that actually, since uh, since we're kind of talking about it. Um, now what? Actually, Greg, let me ask you this. Uh. We we couldn't get Dana on it. Oh, if anybody, because there's all these people fucking calling in that I don't want to talk to because they're probably crazy. So <laughs> if you see a if anybody from number, the Hell Your Team, uh, 
wants to get if, on if the show, I don't know, send Greg a Tyler. message or something. What's that? Michigan Michigan number is Tyler Strand, if he if that number calls in. All right. I don't know what that area code is, so I don't know. It's like <laughs> I have no a whole bunch either. of yeah, That's all. Yeah. <laughs> Tyler, send someone a message if you're trying to call in, and we'll, we'll bring you on. All right. Um, okay, Carl, you actually, yeah, you brought that up. That's an interesting point. Let me, let me jump to that uh, because that was interesting. The way the show is filmed, it, I know you guys, so I, I know that it's not a scripted show, but I can totally see how if somebody stumbled upon that, they, uh, upon Hellia, they would think just from the cinematic quality of it that it was like some kind of found footage show or something. It, it almost resembled that in a way. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, you know, it was never our intention to, like, try to, like, confuse anybody, but I, I wanted to do something in kind of a different space that felt more like a, a cinematic-type project. But what I wound up really enjoying about it was not only that reversal to change people's expectations, but as we see in season two, we start talking about where the phenomena exists in, like, a, a liminal space or a marginal space, uh, being in between and being kind of pushed aside, Hell yeah, is it exists in a project right now to be in that sort of weird, it looks like it's not a documentary, but it is a documentary, you know, and it's 100% real, but people aren't sure if it is. That's right where the phenomena likes to hang out, too. So by doing it in that manner, what I really came to love about it is that I'm hoping to also kind of coax out the phenomena in that kind of very process of making it. Interesting. Interesting. I like that. Now, Greg, uh, I was I was hoping we could talk to Dave, but I'm figuring you can answer this question um, because I'll in do the my series, best. yeah, she wears the God helmet, right? And for folks who mm-hmm. don't know, and Greg can do a better explanation of this, but it's like this helmet that was designed by some scientists that messes with the brain uh, using I don't even know. Greg will explain it, but <laughs> messes with the brain, <laughs> and and essentially, well, there was sort of like two questions, but when she's wearing it. Like, what is, what is happening? Like, what is she experiencing? Because I couldn't quite put my finger on it watching her. Like, is she seeing visions? Is she getting thoughts? Is she hearing sounds? Like, what is, what is happening to her while she's wearing that? Uh, so just to give people an overview of what this thing is and how it's used, because there's a lot of misconceptions out there about the God helmet. I mean, there's people yeah, out there who say a better explanation God than helmet. I just did, please. But they're not God helmets. There's only one thing that's a God helmet, and it was designed by uh, Dr. Michael Persinger, built by Stan Corin from Laurentian University uh, in Ontario. Uh, they've been studying the effect of, uh, of geomagnetic anomalies on the brain. They, they came to this conclusion, um, which is very sound, uh, that – Holy sites, a lot of holy sites and a lot of places that are considered haunted have high, strangely anomalous geomagnetic fluctuations, weird geomagnetic anomalies. Um, and, and ghost hunters have been picking up on this for a long time. That's why they use uh, magnetic field meters, you know, electromagnetic field meters to measure ghosts. They're just looking at it probably in the wrong way. Um, I mean, I think they've they've just they're onto the right thing. I think they're just backwards from what's actually happening, which is those magnetic anomalies are affecting the brain in a way that lets us see ghosts. They're not actually ghosts themselves, and that's what Persinger 
uh, and his team started to believe is that these these holy sites and these places with geomagnetic anomalies, haunted sites, places where people see UFOs and things like that, um, they had very high geomagnetic anomalies, and they were affecting the brain in some way. So they built a device uh, that eventually became known as the God Helmet because it induced so many visions of God and so many religious experiences with people who wore it. And what it does is it uh, it pumps complex magnetic signals into different hemispheres of the brain in order to to uh, s- simulate one of these one of these uh, uh, geomagnetic anomalies. So when we use it, the version that we use is the only non-laboratory model that was made with the patented magnetic chirp signals from Persinger's lab uh, with Todd Murphy, who was a man who, who built this under the uh, advisement of uh, Persinger, the only one that actually does what it's supposed to do. Now, it sounds scary, but it's not. The magnets are actually lower – have a lower magnetism than hair dryers and phones that we put to our heads every day. It's just the way that it moves around the hemisphere disrupts something called the, uh, the binding factor of consciousness. Um, our brains are like 90 95% inhibitory, so they're constantly keeping data out. So when we use the God helmet, it disrupts that pattern in such a way as to open it up and let more data in. So what, what Dana or anyone else using the God Helmet is experiencing can vary depending on the site, depending on their environment, um, depending on even, you know, you have to check the uh, uh, solar flares for that day because if there's a solar storm, it doesn't work. For some weird reason, it just oh, won't wow. work. Uh, yeah, so what it's probably doing, one of the things the person you thinks it's doing is it's syncing us up with some sort of, uh, I think it's the 44 hertz signal. Um, okay, yeah, that, yeah, uh, that, that, yeah. It, that goes around the earth, the Schumann resonance. And that's where he thinks a lot of m- even memories are stored. And that, that might be what we tap into when we die. We sort of upload our, our experiences for evolutionary purposes. So we're just sort of tapping into this thing, which is where a lot of psychic phenomena comes into play. Um, so what Dana experiences, long story short, what Dana is experiencing yeah. can be visions. Um, it can be sensations. It can be, you know, psychic impressions. Um, but most of those things are, are typically pretty subtle. Uh, it's just we found personally in our work, in our research, using the God helmet as a, as a jumping off point or a launch pad for further psychic experiments increases the hits and increases the, the interesting nature of those experiments because we use it in such a way as to enhance people's latent psychic abilities. Yeah. Okay. So while she was doing it, though, like what was she – I mean, I think she kind of said a little bit in the thing, but I'm sure she's kind of extrapolated, and she said she's done it before. So, like, what does she usually experience when she does it? Well, I mean, it, she experiences visions. Uh, the first time she ever used it, you know, she doesn't really like using it a lot because it typically Yeah, she has said that on the show. Yeah, it has like a peak and then a come down that can last for a week or more. And Jesus. the first time she used it, she she saw a pit, a vivid she got a vivid image of a pit of chimps eating each other. Holy so it fuck. Can be weird stuff like it can be weird stuff like that 
all the way to uh, I need a piece of paper because I need I need to draw something, and then you know we might see that thing later. Um, right. It's stuff like that, or it's, or it's even stuff like feeling someone touch her neck, feeling someone you know touch her, uh, or hearing sounds, hearing music. Uh, it depends. It just depends, and I think it depends on on the purpose of using it and where Dana or any other user decides to focus. All right. Yeah. Well, that kind of segues in a sense to like, I was going to, I did put you guys over in the article, but I wanted to put you over again where it's like, you do some real fuck, you do some real crazy <laughs> shit where it's like, yes. I, I'm like, I watched this and I'm like, you say it's no worse than a hairdryer or whatever, but I don't know if I let someone strap a thing on my fucking brain. Dude, literally. <laughs> that, like, like, messes with my brain. There? And if I saw a pit full of chips eating each other, that would be the last fucking time I would do it. <laughs> what, are you fair. kidding me? I guess, that's, I guess that's fair. But here's the thing. They've done it so many times, and they've done it in a laboratory. Um, really right. interesting thing about the, the God Helmet, uh, Richard Dawkins, like the, the, the arch pope. Of, of skeptics did it, and even he felt weird stuff when he did it. Um, so there's something, there's absolutely something to it, uh, but it's it's harmless. It, it really, if you use it correctly, like you're not supposed to use it more than than uh, twice in a month. Um, you have to have you know take two weeks off after you use it twice, that type of thing. Uh, and and frankly, I, like I know I keep harping on this, but it's I'm only doing it because it's dangerous and sets a really bad precedent. <laughs> For paranormal research, there's people out there saying that they're using God helmets, but they're actually building electromagnets that they're strapping into like superhero masks and sticking them on their head, and it's gonna give oh brain cancer. They're not yeah. electromagnets; they're complex magnetic si- signals, and the, there's so there's no electromagnetic anything in this thing. It's just magnets interacting with the brain's natural electromagnetism. The other stuff yeah. is just going to give you a headache and possibly hurt you. These things are harmless right. if they're used properly. Well, that has to be a concern in a sense, considering how uh, you know excited this community of, of fans is in a way where it's like, there's a part of me, I mean, I was worried about you guys or for you guys, like when you, <laughs> you know, kind of throughout season one, you know, when the guy was like, "Don't go anywhere with a stranger," and it was like, "Oh, jeez, I hope they don't. I hope they don't go anywhere with a stranger, dude. That's gonna get pretty wild." But this season, like the the, the the tension increased exponentially too, where it was like, in that last episode, I I, I, I mean, you guys were all like, oh, "Oh, nothing." You know, there weren't any goblins that showed up. Part of me was waiting for the hooded robe people to fucking come wandering into the cave and be like, "What? What are you doing here?" Like this is our this is our our temple. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Uh well let me we'll stay on the topic of the experiments. Uh I wanna ask you, Carl. I'll set you up first. I want you to think about this, Carl, but first I'm gonna ask Greg a question. So we'll this is like real big time professional radio here. So <laughs> <laughs> I want to know for I want to know from you, and I want you to think about this while I ask Greg the next question. I, yeah. What it was like to do that abduction hypnosis experience, we'll call it. So think about that. <laughs> okay. And now, Greg, I want to ask you because I did see this on Twitter, of course. Where else? Um, 
But there were some people apparently – and actually, it's funny because I didn't even – it didn't resonate with me. And this person on Twitter mentioned it too, so that, that kind of like kicked in all the memories in a sense. It didn't resonate yeah. with me until the Alan Greenfield interview when you guys t- – you showed him the video and you talked about this. And he kind of went out of his way to sort of like say this is an unethical thing to do to that guy. And nice. someone on Twitter was like, hey, and, and like I said, when I'm watching the show, that never even dawned on me until he said that. But then the person on Twitter mentioned it too, and it was like, hey, how come nobody's talking about what they did to that guy? And it was <laughs> – so, so, uh, so for that person on Twitter, if you're listening, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. So like what do you – have you gotten any other pushback from this? And do you like? I mean, the guy fucking did it. He knew. He didn't know what he was getting into. But at the same time, it's like you're all playing with fireworks here. <laughs> like no one, no one is to blame. He's just the one who who right. fucking held on to the to the stick of dynamite, I guess. But you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. What do you think of that that sort of ethical, uh, you know, kerfluffle surrounding surrounding the whole experiment? I mean, I, I fully expected pushback on it, for sure. I mean, we showed the footage. But we did that experiment in, like, 2012, 2013. So we've been sitting on right. that for a long time. And we've only shown it in public twice. And it went over like a lead balloon because so many people were so upset when they saw it. Um, people in the audience, like, were genuinely upset about it. And so we just decided, well, okay, we'll, we just won't show it. But when it came time to do Hellier and it seemed obvious that we were supposed to do this again, I fully anticipated a little bit of pushback, but the thing that people need to understand is it's an experiment. That's kind of the point. You never know what's going to happen. And when we did it, I would, I would disagree that it's unethical. If it was unethical, we wouldn't have told the person we would have said, Hey, we're going to send you to the nicest place you've ever been in this hypnosis experiment and then give it. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to help you stop eating so much candy or stop smoking cigarettes or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. We're going (laughs) to stop smoking. Right. But that's, that's not what we did. We knew like the whole point of this, you know, the setup for this was all about when we did this experiment, we were trying to get abducted by aliens. When we couldn't get abducted by aliens, the old fashioned way, I called my friend Lonnie, who's a hypnotist. And I said, Hey, do you think it's possible to do the reverse of, uh, of a, a regression hypnosis session and plant an idea of an of a alien abduction in someone's head? And he was like, yeah, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I was like, what if we all are on board? We know what's going on. He had to think about it for a bit, and then he was like, you know what? It sounds really interesting. I think we can illustrate a point about how easily these types of things are implanted in people's heads um, and why people probably shouldn't do regressions. He's like, so let's, let's give it a shot. We didn't anticipate that we would get out of it what we did. I mean, it was something that was legitimately one of the most scary things I've ever seen just because of the implications of it. Um, we knew it was going to be weird. We couldn't have anticipated how weird or right. that maybe what we had done was possibly accidentally given him a regression or possibly on some other plane turned on a switch that said, hey, abduct me, uh, because the things that happened afterwards were, were fairly scary. I mean, he started to believe that this was something that had happened to him. Um, yeah. You know, he thought he had been gone for four days. 
he, he had four days of memories of this experience on this ship in his brain. Now, has he uh, seen like the four days of memories? Jesus Christ! Has he yeah. seen that? He's seen like the footage of him being hypnotized, right? Oh no, no. Unless he's watched Hellier, oh. I haven't heard from him. But unless he's watched Hellier, he's he has not wanted to see it. Uh, oh, okay. All right. See, I didn't know that. Yeah. Because part of me would be like, no, if he, he if he got all weird afterwards, I'd be like, no, 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 dude. Here's the video of what we did, and so you can see that you weren't actually taken. You know, you were in the room with us yeah. the whole time. So. Well, see, see, we we interviewed him. You can see an interview we did with him years later uh, in right. in Hellier Two. Uh, where we ask him these questions, because what was really fascinating and part of the reason that he was even chosen for the experiment is the fact that he didn't believe in hypnosis. And so Lonnie saw that as a challenge. And he also didn't really believe in aliens. He at least didn't believe that we had been visited by them. Um, He didn't believe in alien abduction or anything like that. What's fascinating is by the, you know, a couple years later, he doesn't, he'd he'd work with Lonnie a bit uh, to ease those memories out. And he didn't remember anything about the experience at all when we interviewed him years later. But not only did he have a lot of anxiety about thinking about the experience, he believes 100% in extraterrestrials and the fact that they might be visiting us, and he believes in hypnosis now. So it changed him fundamentally. It changed him in a, in a fundamental way. And he's not, like, pissed off at you guys or anything, right? So to me, it's like, right? No, no, no. No, 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 So it's like, if you're someone, in a sense, to me, it's like if you're someone on Twitter, like, if the dude's not mad at them, then you can't be mad at them. That's kind of my litmus test, where it's like, if the guy's fine with what happens, like, you know, he doesn't need you to fight for him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he... Understood what we were trying to do. We all did, and uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, uh, it, it uh, yeah, it didn't really go the way we expected it to, which is why we changed it up a, a little bit for uh, the experiment in, in season two because we didn't want to, you know, we didn't want to scramble anyone's brains. We don't want to scramble Carl's, Carl's brains this time. Right. Okay. Now, Carl, tell me what it was like to experience this. Uh, what they, what the, uh, I forget the guy's name now. Greg mentioned it a minute ago. His friend, the hypnotist, he, he tried to sort of like, what's that? Lonnie. Lonnie. Uh, Lonnie tried, he didn't necessarily try to induce this, this, um, you know, uh, an alien abduction experience, but he kind of tried to induce this. I guess you would call it like the sense that you were in communication with the other. That is that kind of like a, a good interpretation of it, or like talk a little bit about what what you experienced and were like were you were you nervous when you decided to be be the the vessel, if you will, for this experiment? Yeah, um, there was a lot there was a lot going on with all of it. Um, I, I was a little bit nervous going into it. Um, it was probably similar to the first time that they did the experiment because I didn't really know how it was going to go down. I wasn't sure how long he was going to do it. Um, at that point, when I went under, I didn't, I didn't know that it wasn't going to be a spacecraft is coming out of the sky and it's going to come take you. Um, I didn't know how he was going to do that. We went to the, the high concept kind of place of just like, rather than set up a situation with an alien, so to speak, and see how it unfolds, he just set up a situation. So he kind of just talked me through just a normal kind of getting into 
um, a, a trance state. And then he kind of had me go into an environment and then just ask about the environment. And, and then, you know, there might be someone that approaches you, like who approaches you and just left it very open-ended. Um, so okay. The entire experience you're still sounding, you still, very, Greg, Greg, back me up, Greg. You still sounds terrible as uh, sound of your <laughs> phone line, but just uh, a, little, a little quiet. Just a little quiet. Yeah. Cell yeah. Phone All right. Keep going. I'm sorry. sorry. I'm the writing. Yeah. I'll switch over a little bit more. Um, so yeah, yeah. It's a, it, it was a, an enjoyable experience to be under. There was nothing like traumatizing or, or bad or, or even super frightening. Um, for me, I sort of wanted to believe in the experience though. Um, like more frustrated, I think, uh, due to my own level of like expectations and desires with it. Um, yeah. It, I have a super analytical brain, right? And as Greg kind of puts it after the fact, too, like hypnosis isn't about like putting your brain uh, to sleep or in a dampened kind of state. It's more about putting your brain in a hyper aware state. So in this regard, it worked very well with how my brain usually works. So it's sort of like overanalyzing everything, thinking and, and trying to tell my brain to just shut that off and just kind of go by impulse. So if you ask the question, I would, you know, I would grab a book off this imaginary shelf and kind of flip it open and see what the first thing I saw was, you know, and kind of like say that where it's like if I could possibly kind of pick up on some sort of um, additional uh, information from maybe outside of myself or from deep in my subconscious, I wanted to just right. do that by clearing my conscious brain out of the way. And that was what I tried to do through the whole thing. I think it was very interesting, um, but with a lot of Hellier stuff, it was much more subtle. And uh, I'm not sure what I was expecting. I tried to go into it without expectations, but it was, I don't know, like it, it left like this weird kind of like taste in my mouth after it with just like, um, it, I think it was a very vulnerable experience too. And I think that it was very uncomfortable to come out of that wanting something more tangible and then seeing like six sets of eyes looking back at me and you know the <laughs> yeah, camera yeah. and just like having gone to this deep inside place and I think it was just like it, it was just kind of stressful in that regard so I think that the experience itself I, I wouldn't say anything negative about but I kind of walked away from it like with a lot of anxiety and kind of like frustrations um, which was unexpected um, now this is something that occurred to me when I was watching uh, the last episode. Now we're into like super spoilers if we haven't already, <laughs> folks. Um, but like you guys go through this long, really, really detailed and elaborate and very cool. Uh, I, I don't know if it's a ritual or initiation. I'm not. I'm not up on magical terms, so forgive me. But it's some kind of like ceremony, if you will, to contact Pan and. Um, you know, much <laughs> much like the first season, there ain't no fucking goblins. Like, a goblin doesn't come running out at the end. Um, <laughs> right. But, and this this question may infuriate uh, Hellier fans, and, and may even upset Carl, and I apologize, but, like, do you think <laughs> the, uh, we'll start with Greg, and Carl can answer this too, but do you think, like, there's a part of me that was wondering, as I'm watching it, I'm like, I wonder if this, if the fact that they are trying to document this is a whole, is a hindrance to the whole thing working. Like I want, I really wonder, like what would happen if you guys went in there and fucking did all that, without 
without that performative aspect to it. Like, I wonder if there would be a different experience. But it's like like a Catch-22. It's like you're making a TV show. Of course, you're going to film the whole thing. But I, I do – part of me does wonder, like, if you – like, you get too close. Like, it's too – the fact that you could possibly document it is what is, is, what is keeping this thing from – it knows. It knows, like, you're – you're filming it or something. Well, it knows you're, you're trying to capture it. You're assuming the initiation is for us and not the <laughs> viewer. Interesting. Well, extrapolate <laughs> on that, Greg. That. You can't say shit like that. Because somebody, I think it was Ryan Sprague. Ryan Sprague joked about this on Twitter, and I, I'll give him props because yeah. I thought the same thing. As I was watching the show, I'm like, am I being inducted into some kind of cult? Am I. <laughs> Am I am I going to finish this show and like Listen, suddenly be I like a seventh how, level Freemason? I don't know how much I want to expound on it, and I, I don't know how much any of us do because the thing about that last episode is it's very much uh, it was I think something different for every one of us, and it's going to be something different for all of the the viewers. And I think yeah. all you have to do is take a look at the hashtag on Twitter to see the way that this has affected people. And it's not bad. I haven't seen anyone who's been affected in a bad way. Um, oh, no, no. I think, I think that it's not necessarily an initiation for us as much as it is for the viewer. I think there's something that they're supposed to see and they're supposed to feel. And if they do, that's great. If they didn't, well, Hellier didn't call to you. And that's sort of how I've been looking at it, even the first season. That's sort of how I put yeah. it, was it calls to who it calls to. And once you watch it, you know, it's funny. Our friend Tenny said something about the first season. He said, once you watch it, you're part of it. And I think that's true uh, to a, a, a much higher degree in the second season. And yeah. we've questioned why are we being led here and, and here and here? Because I think – it's 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 harder for me. I think we're beyond the pale of of saying that what's happening in season two is not direct and pointed. Whatever is directing and pointing is another question. But it's very hard for me for someone to look at season two and go, well, this, this they're just they're reaching. Ah, dude, you didn't see the same thing everyone else did. If you think that, yeah, yeah, uh, because there's it's very clear that someone or something is trying to get us to do what we're doing. And I think we wouldn't have done what we did if we didn't think that that was a positive end. And okay. I, I think part that, of yeah. the, yeah. And I mean, even Carl, he says it, he, he even says it in one of the episodes. He says, you know, I think this, uh, the fact that we're making this project is part of the ritual. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. We gotta spread this stuff around. Let's put it on the internet. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Great heavens. What kind of radio show is this? All right. What do you think, Carl? Because it did cross my mind watching the show where it was like, sure. maybe this thing doesn't want, like, maybe that maybe whatever this is, like, like I said, doesn't want to be captured in that sense. Like the old Amish thing where they, if you take their picture, they get all pissed off. You know, like maybe there's something real, yeah. to that thing. That's yeah. a real thing. I mean, it, it it definitely doesn't infuriate me. <laughs> I think I think a lot of the sort of like questions in any sort of regard like that have crossed all of our minds uh, before it crosses most. And I've always been hyper aware of that fact, even just from 
myself personally, I've always kind of felt like I, I can be a bit of a psychic negative sometimes on ghost hunts. I feel like sometimes I worry I'm like the, the anti-magnet and I should just leave the room so everyone else can have an experience. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but then you add a camera into the mix. And I feel like if, if you're versed in even like poltergeist phenomena in the past, there's a whole history of paranormal phenomena tending to avoid cameras. Um, yeah. And I was aware of that fact that, that the challenge with Hellier kind of in general is the fact that we are trying to document it and we do have the camera, but I do wonder sometimes if I turned it off and walked away for a little while, something might happen. And that could be an experiment to play with a bit in the future. But a lot like what Greg was saying is very much what I kind of fell back on where I was just kind of like, maybe there's a certain degree of physical type phenomena that would happen or not happen uh, with the camera not around. But on the larger whole, from the very first five minutes of Hellier, I felt like I was kind of brought into Greg and Dana's story, specifically myself, uh, through this phenomenon of synchronicity. Like, I felt like there was uh, a role I had to play in it that the phenomena pointed to me for. And I don't mean that in, like, an ego way, but it felt pointed towards me. And I have a certain set of skills that I wanted to bring to the project with the, the documentary projects and and. and uh, the video work that I do. And for me, that sort of like feels like, and, and the leads we've had, everything that's unfolded since then feels directed. And that's, that's what Greg said earlier about the, the phenomena being the writers. Um, this path feels kind of guided. And in that regard, like Greg was saying, I think that to a certain degree, it wants this experience filmed. They want it shared to the broader whole. Um, whether or not there's a nuance in there about what might happen if the camera's on or off, on the whole, I think it wants the camera to be there telling that story to bring people in. And I think that maybe at a certain point, some physical phenomena, like seeing something or filming something might be a part of that to continue that reach or to continue, I don't know, that marginality if no one believes it. Um, but whatever it is, like that could be down the road at a certain point. But right now, I think that whatever's happening, it, it doesn't feel the need to present that sort of uh, evidence, if you will, in yeah. the stage of the game that we're at. Plus, if you get to the point where you're doing the shit and you're not filming it, you kind of have to, you've crossed some kind of Rubicon where it's like, well, what am I, what are we doing? You know, like, like <laughs> making the show kind of keeps you grounded in a sense. Well, like we're making this show about this case where once you, mm-hmm. you know, once you're out in the woods and doing all this shit on your own without any cameras or anything, then it's like, right now we've really, <laughs> like, now we've really, now we've really stepped in it. Like, what the fuck? The audience and you kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't because if something cool happens, no mm-hmm. one's ever going to fucking believe it and shit. So it's very frustrating. Yeah. Now I was planning on going a couple hours with you guys. Can you keep on rocking? Yeah, I, I'm I'm good to go. All right, excellent. Well, some folks, you know, they try to they run out of steam. All right, I'm going to hit you with some shotgun questions uh, so I can kind of knock them off the board here. Um, my buddy Aaron Golius. <laughs> what, what's that? What did you say? I said I don't know much about guns. I'm sorry, you know, shotgun questions. I don't... <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Carl's a dad joke connoisseur. I should have warned you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. This is actually this is kind of a weird question, but like it did dawn on me the other day, where it's like, do you guys like do you what do you have a plan if things go haywire? Like when you're out there, like if those hooded people showed up or fucking god, you know, a bear, a bear. Let's say a bear comes out of the fucking cave. You know, we don't need goblins, just a fucking bear. Like like what? what yeah, you like 
grab what you can and get the fuck out of there or whatever. Like, or do you have like a, you know, pepper spray or some shit? I think that's about the, we have Tyler Strand who carries a flare gun around. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dude. Yeah. If that was ever in a dangerous situation, I would push him towards the, towards the danger and run as fast as I could. So yeah, like that makes sense. (laughs) That's about it. I think that's the plan. Hope Tyler Strand can take it out. And if he can't, maybe someone will find the cameras. Uh, now, my buddy Aaron Goulias, um, he's actually in the show. They play You guys play a, a clip of his show, uh, his outstanding show, Saucer Life, when he talked about Hellier. He was, as you uh, probably know, if you know Aaron, was really into the the Tanya Darren, Derenberger uh, aspect of the season uh, because mm-hmm. he's done a lot on the injured cold story. And I was really, to piggyback a little bit on that, and I was really impressed just by the sheer number of interviews that were in the show with, and I wanted to write about this on the Coast to Coast Review, but I couldn't really find the time or the space to fit it in. But, like, what's fascinating about season two is all these tangential characters, Amy, the dudes who run the museum, um, you know, the guy who thinks he met Terry Wrist, uh, Tanya Derenberger, like all these really interesting side characters like come into the universe of Hellier un- unwittingly, unknowingly. Mm. Like they mm. had no they've, – they've been tangentially sucked into this story, and some of them are very uneasy about that situation. Um, so we'll explore a little bit of that as we move forward here, but the first part of that idea is this Tanya Derenberger thing. Uh, What did you, I guess, what did you, uh, we'll start with you, Greg. What did you make of, of her story? And I thought it was interesting. And again, spoilers, if you're, if you're still listening, we've spoiled a lot of shit, but we're going to keep spoiling shit. So I was, I was so sure. I was so sure that, 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 because uh, you guys interview her like in episode two, I was like positive. Yeah. That, like at one of the last episodes, it was going to be like the phone rings. How was Tanya De- Tarenberger? The cold boys just stopped by last night. <laughs> and like then that's also like down season three. Wait for season three to find out what happened. So I'm like, so that never. That's a thread that never pays off. So I guess talk about this. Tanya Derenberger, if you want to give a little background on her, go for it. I did a terrible job setting up the question, but I think you know where I'm going <laughs> oh, no. with this. What, what, was, what's your, what are your thoughts on her as a character in, in this story? A very real person, not, a, not, not something invented yeah. by a writer. Well, I mean, in season one, uh, uh, the character of Indrid Cold, which most people would recognize from the Mothman Prophecies story, uh, he, he pops up in a really weird and interesting way as a a connection to this case. And so that became a thread we were very interested in following. So 14 months after the first season comes out, we all gathered at my place uh, and we just sat around and everybody sort of picked their own thread that they went on. This is 14 months of work. Everybody slapped down file folders. And one of the, the stunners that Connor dropped on us was he he had done a lot of reading about uh, Indrid Cold and Woody Derenberger, who was the man who met Indrid Cold, and uh, Woody's family, uh, particularly his daughter, Tanya. She had been there the entire time that this, this extraterrestrial being, who looked just like any other man, 
uh, had existed and hung out with their family. Uh, he had done a lot of reading on Tanya. He'd read Tanya's book. And one of the things that he found was Tanya had announced on her Facebook page that she had received two visitors who told her that Indrid had died. Indrid and his crew, uh, you know, his, 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 uh, his, uh, the, the pilot of his ship, Carl Ardo, had passed away, away as well. And this, it was funny, there were maybe 10, 10 responses to this Facebook post because no one was paying any attention to Tanya. I mean, yeah. the, the character of Indrid Cold has become, uh, it's embedded in pop culture now. And it has this whole yeah, like mythos around it. That's, yeah, and it's in, and you, you see people, I think Connor even says, you see people on Reddit telling stories about the Grinning Man. Things that were just not, they don't fit with the characterization of Indrid Cold as the Derenbergers met him. Um, they tried to make him very scary, and he wasn't. He was just a nice weirdly Christian alien. And he, he, he got this scary persona. Um, but that's because no one was paying attention to the people who had actually claimed these encounters. And here's Tanya. And she's the last real living link to anyone who ever met Indrid Cold in person. And she's just sitting there in Parkersburg, West Virginia, and no one's paying attention to her. No one's talking to her. And I mean, that's the first question we asked was, well, how far away is it? Three hour drive. Well, let's get in the car and go. Let's, let's contact her. Let's go talk to her. And it's that type of stuff that can be really frustrating, particularly today. Uh, People don't really do a lot of boots on the ground work. Um, And and I, I think that the, the advent of the internet has been a blessing and a curse because people have so much information available to them. They just take that information as gospel and that becomes what they write in their books, whatever they can yeah. find on Wikipedia. Uh, but there's a, I think, uh, hopefully people start to see with what we've done in season two, whether it's you know meet with uh, Tanya or or talk to Alan Greenfield or any of these people. People aren't talking to these guys. They were there when all of this stuff was yeah, going right. down, but no one is talking to them. And there's things that you just there's nuances you can pick up on. Uh, only if you're there, boots on the ground, doing that work. And it wasn't hard. We literally just got in the car and, and drove to see her. And then she yeah. laid out this whole story about what had happened, about Indra dying. And I think the thing with doing these is we, we have to sort of – I don't think we can jump to any conclusions. Is, is Indra Colt dead? Well, the person who probably would know the best is the one telling us this. Uh, yeah. So, or at least, how I the mean, fuck does she up, know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we don't really force—we don't really force anything on anyone. They can believe whatever they want. Uh, but I right. think it's interesting. I think it's very interesting, and I think it's something that we we had to follow up on if we were trying to be thorough. We had to ask that question, and we had to talk to her, and we had to see what she had to say. Um, I think it's fascinating because it's more fascinating to me that she never reached out to say, oh, yes, the boys stopped by and they have a message for you. That's right. even more interesting to me that she never did it than if she had. How long ago did you give her your info and shit? Uh, a year ago. December. All right, so you still haven't heard from her then. Weird. I mean, we've, we've, we've yeah. talked to her a bit. She was, <laughs> she was very – she likes Hellier, but she was very upset that Connor called her an old woman. <laughs> oh, Connor. <laughs> 
<laughs> a nice old woman. Uh, yeah. I was going to ask Carl, maybe you can speak to this, Carl, because I was kind of like, as a as someone who's seen all the episodes now in the first season and the second season, I was really kind of... Uh, I was I was just like intrigued by Connor's transformation. He seemed he seemed like he seemed like the most obsessed with this story than anyone on the show. Almost he seemed like this had captured him, captured his imagination more than anybody on the team. Like I was really kind of blown away by that, and that's not a slight on anyone else. It was just like he was really. He, he he spoke with passion in this season, and I, I didn't notice that in the first season. Uh, he really stood out in that sense where I was like, Jesus, Carl's fired up about this fucking Hellier thing. So <laughs> did you notice that, that he's become more invested in this story as time's gone on? He has. Um, he's gone on uh, quite a, a roller coaster ride um, throughout this whole process. Uh, and he might – sorry, I'm distracted because I saw he texted um, – Keep an eye out maybe for like a 303 number, um, I think it's his. Uh, he might be trying to call. All right, I'll he, take he a might look. might be able to ask him a little. Um, but, um, yeah, he. I think it was hard for him in the first season because I invited him on because I was like, hey, you know, my buddy Rashad is a cameraman on this. Uh, he he can come help shoot it. And Connor was like, you know, for added help, uh, he can jump in. He's a great researcher. He helped do the Estes method with me. Um, let's see. Oh, um, yeah. So, he, he he was kind of trying to find this place where he's like, I'm I'm here to help. I'm happy to help, but like, what what is my role in this project? And I think yeah. that's part of the reason the tin can thing in season one threw him so much was because that was, I think, a big welcome into the project by the phenomena for him. And I think it almost it like took an him a little yeah. while. It, exactly, yeah. It, it, it kind of took him, I think, an extra minute at the very end of the season there uh, to wrap his brain around that invitation, that welcome and whether or not he felt comfortable accepting it. And I think that in that 14 months between the seasons, you see uh, that kind of accepting the welcome become interest. He gets the case. Now he's a part of it. He's accepted that. And then he can dive headfirst in kind of knowing what that role is. And right from the get go, you kind of see the results of that and you see him in the project. Uh, very much so. Um, it was sorry, cool. Connor, it was exciting. Seven two zero instead of three zero three. Oh, seven two zero. Let me see. That actually, I think we do have yeah. that one. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Let's see. We got a seven two zero. Hello, hello, hello. This is Connor. Oh my hello. God! Jackpot! Finally. <laughs> Jesus. Connor, I was getting. I was mentally prepared for like. A psychotic. <laughs> you, no, you gotta you gotta talk about digging up dead bodies, Connor. Oh, yeah, yeah, thanks. yeah. Connor, I don't know if you heard that question, but uh did you at all? So maybe you can answer without me having to repeat it, but uh I didn't mean to be trying to like tell tales out of school. That was just sort of an observation. I wish we'd had you on the show and now we do, so I yeah. mean no. I, I noticed a certain I think when I mentioned in the review of the show that kinetic energy, it it seemed to come a lot from you and Tyler, uh, especially. It was sort of like you guys were really, you guys were really, fu- really fucking into this. Yeah. And so it kind of like transferred over to the viewer, where it's like, yes, let's go fucking do this. Um, and I was, it, it, I liked it. I liked it. I thought it was cool. So I guess talk a little bit about sort of your transformation from when you first started 
you know, on the Hellier Project to being this, you know, very active participant in the second season. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. You know, it's funny. I uh, the, I think the main reason is because in season one, I was going out there with the precondition that I was going to be the sound guy. You know, I I did I was just gonna I was gonna be there, and it's and it's Greg's story, and it still is Greg's story. But I'm just like there to help document, and so I wasn't necessarily all gung ho. But then after we left, after I received that vision, after all of this occurred, I just completely got the bug, and I spent the next you know eight months reading and researching. And constantly, you know, like like everybody else, we all kind of got that bug, I think. But especially, um, I I kind of obsess over checklists. And I got, I had a checklist. And I was like, we got to do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. So it's, it's yeah, it's it's been a journey and a ride. And it's been a blast of a two years. I've learned a lot. I can imagine. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, thank you. I didn't even give you a proper introduction, but... Uh, thank you for uh, coming on the show, folks. This is Connor Randall. He's part of the Hellier team. Um, if you watch season one, he's the one who had the tin can uh, vision that paid off in the end. I like how you guys went back and got the tin can. It was kind of surprising that you didn't. That was really weird in a way. Right? Very strange. I know. It, it was very strange. Uh, the other strange part, and we'll throw it to Greg here first, because I know Greg likes to uh, – like to know who the, who the question is going to because he's done this. He's a professional like me. Uh, so, uh, and again, I don't know why I should even say this. Spoilers now. If you haven't seen the mo- the show yet, and you're still for some reason you're still you're like I can stand one more. No, more spoilers. So the balloon thing is like the tin can of of season two in a way. Um, yes, yes. We're just collecting supernatural garbage now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> because like the Darren, that's kind of what fooled me about the Darren burger part, because the balloon thing pays off at the end. So, so that's why I was even more like, all right, well, now we're definitely getting to pay off on that fucking lady. But <laughs> that never happened. But the to me, that was one of those things that really kind of, it was a lot like the tin can thing where, when you guys were driving down that road and the tree was in front of you, how long between when that happened and, like, the whole conversation with Alan Greenfield? Like, what was the time difference there? Just a few hours, right? Oh, hours. Hours, yeah. I mean, what what would you say, Carl? Eight, eight hours, if if that? Yeah. Yeah, I think we might have said eight hours a bunch in the show, but sometimes the more I think about it, it might have at most 12, but not any more than that. Yeah. Yeah, it was literally because we we had wrapped. Uh, Greenfield was a, a long interview, and we went to like four or five in the morning talking to him, and then Jesus. we slept a couple hours before. Dry, I mean, he had a lot to say. You know, I mean, people. There's the funny thing about this, just as an aside, is you know the first season, um, we didn't really have a whole lot of extra footage, but the second season, there's so much stuff. I mean, there's yeah. there, there's just so much stuff. Carl had to cut. Um. But this interview went all night, and we slept a few hours, and then we were driving home the next day, uh, hours, literally a matter of maybe a dozen hours later. And uh, I said, you know, Somerset is only half an hour out of the way. The only people who've seen it so far are me and Tyler. If we're actually going to go there, we should drive through. I'll show you guys the addresses 
that Amy pointed out, and we'll just check, you know, scope the place out. And so when we got to this little one-lane dirt road, we all kind of had a feeling about the place, and then all of a sudden we see this tree down, and then sure enough, we have to move it, and there's a fucking balloon. <laughs> that was, yeah, it was really, uh, it know, was really but, amazing. That was, yeah, that was kind of one of those. Right after Greenfield harped and harped and harped on the balloons because we weren't taking them very seriously. I mean, we were just like, well, it's an interesting coincidence. Who knows? Maybe it doesn't mean it's, you know, Tyler found the one, you know, at the right. Exactly. And... I'll, I'll, I'll jump in here as the viewer. Like, uh, when he grabbed the balloon and like stuffed it in his backpack, I'm like, what a fucking clown. <laughs> I'll be honest. Dude. Tyler, no Tyler, offense, Tyler, no offense, Tyler. But when listen. I was watching, I was like watching. I'm like, what is this idiot throwing that fucking balloon in his bag for? <laughs> like, what is Jesus Christ, dude? Stop picking up Tyler. Tyler's literally blowing butt. my phone up right now. <laughs> saying he's he's a 906 number and he's right, dying to talk to you oh uh, christ all right we'll, we'll get him on in a minute <laughs> he was probably that guy doing that weird corpse fucking call i'm sure yeah, probably now, but... it would not surprise me um but yeah that was i mean it was a matter of hours afterwards and that was kind of the point where it was really driven home to us oh uh, uh greenfield ain't lying this is a sign. Yeah, <laughs> we should probably it was take pretty this weird. seriously. Yeah, it was pretty and weird. Then, of course, no, the I whole think... like blue star oh, thing God. comes around again at the end of the, sh- the series, at the end of the second you know series. Um, yeah, where we're just again undeniable. There's just no denying that that's important. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah, the whole thing is has... it's a weird connection. I think we have Tyler on the line now. Tyler, are you here? Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Yep. Oh, oh, come on, man. Yeah. Jesus. We got almost everybody here <laughs> now. Also, Tyler, I have a specific oh, I yeah, got a question yeah, go for on. you, Tyler, that I'm sure you've probably gotten by now, but we can get it uh, <laughs> on this weird uh, – I'm going to call this the hell you're after party at this point because <laughs> it's turning into that. <laughs> uh, one, huh? Tyler, what – what the fuck was going on with your voice in that last session? Was that like, how did that happen? And what the fuck was that all about? <laughs> well, it's funny. So I've, I've been on the line since you guys got to talking about um, what it is we're really talking to. And it's strange because um, it's really interesting seeing it from the visual perspective of everyone else, because as, as I'm sure anyone who's done the Estes method is aware, you don't really understand anything you're saying or, or, or what it is people are asking you, seeing as you're both blind and deaf during, during the experiment. So it was a, a really shocking thing to see how specific those answers came out. And it, it is very bizarre when you tug on that thread of what we're really talking to because I think one of the issues we have with this field is it, it seems like people have a tendency to take things at face value and they take it hook, line and sinker. And it's so strange seeing so many people going, Oh my God, I can't believe you talked to Michael or I can't believe you were speaking with an angel. And meanwhile, I'm the only person it seems on the sideline going like, Hey, maybe let's not trust what we're hearing because you can't really trust anything when you're doing these types yeah. of exper- experiments. But we're dealing with a phenomena that's very trickster-like, and we're dealing with things that can lie, and they can lie convincingly. So, like, as much as I would 
like to think I was talking to something like an angel, as, as powerful and impactful as that may sound, I can't put my faith into that idea because the reality is we could be talking with anything. Um, I mean, I can't tell you. I, I know you can't really see this on film, but like Dana and Greg, the ones who are sitting closest to me can attest to this. I was pretty much hyperventilating when I was doing that session, it was very, very strange. Um, and I think about it a lot. It shook me up. Uh, but I don't know. I don't have a clear answer for you. Um, it was very bizarre. It, it felt like a rush of adrenaline. It felt really good. Um, there was even a moment in time it got cut from the, you know, the footage. But, like, I, there was a moment in time where I couldn't stop myself from laughing. I started Where did the voice come from? Because of this, I don't know. I don't like, know. You, that wasn't like a conscious decision on your part. You just started talking no, in this weird, no, it, like, funky accent. No, it's it's strange because it's like we have the volume when we do that experiment just for the sake of being true to it as a double-blind study. The volume is very, very loud. Um, it's actually the factor that made me rip those headphones off at the end because I feel like my eardrums are going to explode. We're already listening to this thing very, very loud, so it's even hard to – hear yourself when you're speaking. So the, the yeah. strange cadence that you hear, you know, I, I don't know if it's a factor of just not being able to hear how I'm talking or maybe it's an aspect of the other. Um, but it's just, I don't know, it's a strange factor and it's really eerie seeing that playback and having that perspective. But that's, I don't know, that's my best answer. I don't, I don't know how to properly properly tell you where that where that is coming from or where those answers are coming from <laughs> all right <laughs> okay well here's a question this is a weird sort of question uh we'll start with greg because he's kind of the the uh the mr wizard of the crew here with all these experiments so <laughs> part of part of uh your 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 you're sort of like traipsing into a lot of magical territory and shit as you get deeper into this mm -hmm. uh, case, let's say. So, mm -hmm. and you're working with all this technological stuff. Has it ever occurred to you, and this is a very tricky question to ask because, it, and I want to stress this and like, as stressfully as I can, like do not bring any drugs to Kentucky, anyone, but... <laughs> uh, have you ever considered uh, that sort of avenue of experimentation, if you will? Because, you know, there's all these stories about the fucking dudes on ayahuasca and they see little elves and shit. And it's like, you know, it, the, the whole idea of like fucking mushrooms and shit is that's natural. That's part of the whole process, if you will. You know, right. maybe that's maybe that's some kind of fucking ingredient to all of this. So I guess have you guys right. – talked about this and you know say you know be safe that's all that's all that's all i'll say you know don't don't fucking don't say anything crazy but you know have you guys like mold this this avenue of fucking adventure if you will yeah i mean we've, we we i think we've had unofficial discussions about it but i don't think that i mean at least in, in my view i don't think it's something we could ever really do for the show because people already have a hard enough time believing what we're doing with technological equipment uh, right, right. What are they going to say when we're on drugs? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. I think yeah. If we were to do something like that, we would have to do it in probably a laboratory setting where yeah. there are actual medical professionals around to monitor things. It can't just be like 
finding a uh, dealer. Yeah, we're going to yeah. some shrooms or some DMT or whatever. Yeah, we're going to give fucking Tyler a sack of mushrooms and fucking take him to a cave, yeah. Which is a terrible idea anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's, well, uh, let's not you know, completely I, I, check it off the list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course you would say that. Tyler can't even I'm handle kidding. marijuana. <laughs> I find that hard to believe. No, it's not. It's the truth. The, oh. So I think I think uh, I don't I don't want to completely discount the idea of of psychedelics, uh, but I also understand we're making a television show, and right, exactly. We if we show that to people, we have a responsibility to do it in a responsible manner, um, and and out of respect for the audience to do it and if I I just can't see us doing it for the show just because of the implication of well that doesn't count because they were all fucked up on drugs right you know exactly I mean? yeah yeah exactly no, right, exactly at least, kind of like the least, same thing but like if we don't film it kind of thing yeah Tyler channeling Michael under the Estes method is a completely different thing because he's in his right mind as opposed to Tyler channeling Michael on LSD exactly <laughs> People yeah, are gonna, yeah, exactly. People are going to have an easier time buying into one than the other. Right, right, exactly. No, no, I, I totally understand, yeah. Um, what the hell? Uh, oh, I want to talk. This is like, I'm like freaked out even to fucking talk about it, but uh, that was sort of the the theme in the show of this whole thing, like this weird fucking cult activity that you possibly stumbled upon in that Kentucky town. Uh, I was just like really uh, – Connor, I, we'll, we'll throw to Connor first because I, I, I felt like you and I were in simpatico when this all went down because you're like, I want to get the fuck out of here. Like I don't want to <laughs> deal with these people and shit. This is crazy. Just the stories yeah. were crazy. Uh, I, I, I've laughed my ass off for like the last like three days when the guy told the story about the girl, and he's like, she went to some – Eyes wide shut parties, and, you know, they were fucking kids and shit. And after, like, four or five times, she was like, I'm out. And it was like, four or five times? <laughs> like, like, dude, come on. The fucking first time. The first time. Not right away. Don't run out like a fucking idiot, but mingle and leave. <laughs> you don't go keep coming back to the eyes wide shut party. <laughs> like, what? what kind of crazy shit's going on here? So, Connor, talk a little bit about this. Like, did you – I got the chills just, like, hearing about this fucking thing. I, part of me wonders if this is some shit that goes on in all little small towns where it's like, oh, they all get together and fuck. But I don't know. But talk a little bit about about this whole thing, <laughs> your take on, on, on these rumors of weird satanic cults and shit in this town. If you feel comfortable talking about it. Otherwise, I'll pop into somebody else. Uh, Nothing is really – I mean, everything's in the show. We straight up hear these terrifying stories from these people, and then I'm just sitting there, and I'm – my self-preservation instincts kick in. And we we went after that to go get some food uh, from a restaurant to bring bring back to Tyler and Dana. And Greg will tell you, I sat there in the line, and I was like – Let's just pick them up. Tell them to start packing the gear. Like, let's go. Um, because, A, we're in this tiny little town with these scary stories. And, B, we have a whole bunch of camera equipment. We stick out like a sore thumb if people are right, speaking right. up. So I was, 
I was like, shoot, this is, this is kind of scary. Maybe there's something to it. Because until that point, we had only heard from Amy that there was this crazy stuff going on. And then suddenly. Right, right, yeah. And so, you know, and, and I had to sit back and, you know, we sat, we chatted for a little bit and we're sort of like, hey, maybe this is happening. Maybe it's not. It's not like we have, here's a missing persons case that we can, it, it, there wasn't direct, I guess, evidence to say. And it was also like, let's put it out in the wild. And if there's something going on, hope that, you know, do what we can. But the other thing is that Amy also connected it with the little green men that she was seeing. Whether or not they right. were connected, we don't know. But because we're there for little green men, Let's check it out for a little bit, and then we'll bounce. All right, I'll throw it to you, Greg, here on this one. Like, we don't want to dox this mm-hmm. lady, but, like, she kept being like, now I got all kinds of felonies. So <laughs> so <laughs> what are those felonies, uh, as best you can tell us? Because to me it was like, all right, lady, are you all fucked up on drugs and shit, and you saw, like, are you running a meth lab, and you saw a bunch of aliens and shit, or – or like, are well, you being set up by by the nefarious forces, if you will? So to me, it was kind of vague enough where I couldn't quite figure out if she was on the level or if she was just kind of fucking cracked up. The stuff really wasn't related to drugs. I mean, I can tell you that okay. it wasn't right. wasn't really related to drugs, at least not the ones that we saw. And I mean, here's the thing: there's a it's it's a really I think the most chilling thing is. Amy, you know, we, we thought the same thing. We thought, okay, well, this woman maybe sounds like she's under the influence. You know, the emails were very erratic. They lined up in such a way with the original David emails that we, we basically, we had to see what they were about. Um, but unlike David, there's, I mean, ample evidence that this woman exists. We know where to find right. her. We you know how to, to talk sure. to her. Yeah. And when we talked to her, she was fairly coherent. And I mean, she had been in jail for a while, so she was clean and she yeah, was sticking by the story. And one of the first things that she said, uh, you know, cause we're, we're trying to understand what she saw and, and why she contacted me, why we were, why we were in Somerset. She was oh, the, I the see what you're saying. Yeah, we were there. yeah. That, that bears, right? that bears so, stressing to people listening that, uh, and it didn't really kind of dawn on me. I mean, I saw it happen. I saw the show. And so it, I knew it, but I didn't really kind of like really know it until I was putting together the questions for the show. And it was like, this lady didn't contact you guys after the show came out. So she had no, no idea no. you were even fucking mixed up in this goblin shit. I, I actually had a meltdown when those emails came in because I thought that one of the screeners, the Hellier, had gotten out because we were still months away. And I, I thought one of the screeners had gotten out and someone had seen it and someone was playing a joke on us or trying to insert themselves into the story. And so right. I, I didn't even tell Carl and Connor for months because I was just waiting it out to see what was going to happen. And then it was actually, it's actually really funny because Carl had shot one of the very final shots in Hellier in our kitchen. He was shooting the goblin, the little goblin bus that Strand had made. And then yeah. when he was done, he was like, I think that's a wrap. And I was like, well, come in here because we have something <laughs> to tell you. And that's uh, – I mean that became a driving factor in the whole reason we went to Somerset. So talking to her, she even said, listen, I don't know how to, 
to accurately describe to you what I've seen. I can only tell you in my own words. And that is something that really Hellier is all about. It's all of these different phenomena that people are experiencing, but they can only describe it through their own lens. So to one person, wow, I saw a miracle. That was an angel. Another person, nope, that was Indrid Cold. He was an extraterrestrial. Another person, nope, that was a goblin. That was my dead grandma, whatever. It's, it's, they, can, they only have the capability to describe it with what they've been given through their life. And so she was yeah. describing to us things that she had no concept for, but we can sit there and we can link to stories that go back hundreds of years. And we can then go and corroborate with other people in the town saying, well, actually, there are a lot of rumors or some weird stuff going on here with people in cults and stuff like that. Uh, so it's, it's – I think the most chilling thing about this case, if you really want to get down to the weird stuff that's happened, is – it seems to me that there are people who are compelled by an external force to say things or do things that push other people along a path. I, the chilling thing to me is what if Amy was just somebody that the phenomena decided to put in our path to push us further down the path? That's yeah. scary to me. The whole thing is scary with that with that angle of the story. That really kind of freaked me out. But, but as I, I said, it was like we, we have to be careful there too, because uh, you know, and I, I I really appreciate Carl's deafness with this. Is you know we don't want to start a satanic panic, right? I mean, there could exactly. be weird stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, that's, that's kind just... of what I was saying. Where it's like maybe in every town people say that shit. So it's like who knows? Sure, you know what I mean, and, and but they do. the way I'm it was like presented town. was yeah. Dude, I'm I'm from a small town in north northern northeastern Pennsylvania, and there were stories of you know babies go missing in the town. Oh yeah, heads, yeah. all you know, kinds they, of shit. They have a cabin where they do all kinds of weird rituals, and I know, you know, as a kid, we were all scared and we all told stories like that. But now I'm like, no, they were probably just masons, and uh, a lot of these stories are just folklore that's made up and spread around, oh, and that happens you... in every town. Was it you that stumbled upon, like, a meth lab when you were trying to investigate a haunted house or oh, something like that? Uh, yeah, absolutely, dude. Yeah, yeah. so that was the other part of it. When you guys went to, like, all these caves and shit, I'm watching. I'm like, they're going to walk into a fucking meth lab in a cave. And, you know, <laughs> I think poor Tyler Strand is going to get shot. Meth lab. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, you know, we, we, we had to be careful about how we present this information because, you know, there's stuff that we don't even buy into, but because it's told to us and because it links up to stuff, we have to present it. And yeah. here's the thing. What's funny to me about this whole, this whole story is all these people are talking about satanic cults and caves doing weird rituals to you know, talk to the devil. Um, actually, at the end of the series, it's us doing weird rituals in a cave to talk to the right. God. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we're just a bunch of nerds. We're not killing people. We're not sacrificing babies. I didn't even think of all We're that, but having... yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. That, but I the, think the, that's the... sort of the the point is that <laughs> she's seeing something. Maybe she did see a pagan ritual, you know, because we talk. One of the things that we talk to the guy who runs the museum in Somerset, you know, he's like, well, yeah, there's there's a healthy group of pagans here. Somebody who's raised in the Bible Belt sees a pagan ritual and they automatically assume it's evil. So she may have seen something and just misinterpreted it, and then in yeah. her brain it turned into, well, they're doing these evil rituals or whatever. 
Um, we have to be very conscious of that because, you know, my wife is a witch. <laughs> I, I don't want people being afraid of witches. You know, she's come a long way. In, she's in, a hedge in witch. Teaching people. I was going to ask her yeah, about what a hedge witch, witch is because what's a hedge witch? I've never heard of a hedge witch before it, when they introduced her. And I know you guys, so I'm like, wait a minute, when did she become a hedge yeah. witch? What is a hedge <laughs> she's, witch? Uh, she's really always been. It's really just a witch yeah, that, that's that does more work with like um, uh, like folk folk magic and, and, and traditional magic. Like herbs um, and shit. More like earth, yeah, earthy-based stuff, things like that. And I think part of the reason that she's uh, tried to maintain a hedge witch uh, moniker is because, you know, those are people – who sort of were one foot in and one foot out. They lived at the edge of the, of the town, the hedge, and you had to cross the hedge to speak with them. So they had one foot in and one foot out, which it's what Tellier's about. It's the liminal space. It's the space between. Um, so I think that that fits. Well, if I noticed one thing also, I was, I was talking about how Connor seemed really energized by the case in season two. Dana really seemed like she carried around this wisdom there's much deeper wisdom than I than I noticed in the first season, where it was like she was kind of like on a, like this different level. That's kind of why I wanted to ask about the Hedgewitch Park. So I was like, wow, she's kind of like yeah. she has a, an ascendancy, an ascendant quality to her that I didn't notice in the first season. It's like very like she's really in tune with something that I, you know, that I'm <laughs> that I, I, you know, I watch football. I Dana? I drink beer. I'm not, <laughs> so, I ain't touch with Dana shit. Is- She's very she's she's very smart and she doesn't really give a shit about little green men. So the first season I think was a little <laughs> uh, a little tougher for her to be as invested in because you know uh, it's it was tough to we didn't we didn't know what we were making in the first season. Right. And so she, her right. interests don't really lie in ufology. So once once the direction of the case started really leaning into the idea of magic. You know, Dana basically just she she could full sprint, and yeah, it, it, her she was you know she was absolutely integral to everything that happened, particularly in the final episodes. Um, so I think this this season, because of what the case had turned into, she had room to breathe and really shine, and I think she really yeah. does. Uh, I kind of threw out a little net in a sense, like, oh hey, I'm going to be talking to all you guys. Do you have any questions? Just some of my friends. And uh, two two different people were like uh, sort of put forward the idea that you need like a skeptic in your group, someone who can kind of like be the be the, the, the quote-unquote voice of reason. I don't necessarily – and these are two of my good friends that actually suggested this, but I completely disagree because I felt like the the – the work that was being done on the series was like very interestingly improvisational paranormal investigation. It was all very yes and. Like there was no one there yeah. to fucking shut things down. And I think that was like what made this whole thing such a big success where it was like everybody was encouraging each other to fucking do shit. But I guess I'll, and I guess I will start with Carl if someone else wants to jump in. Uh, the idea of like sort of like the idea of bringing in someone – I don't understand it really myself, but but I'll throw it out there as as part of, uh, you know, the, the the haters online who are like, oh, you need someone who's going to call bullshit. It's like, why? Why do you why do you need a fucking wet dish, <laughs> dish rag you know, on the show? Here, but. Viewer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what you're for, Twitter user. Yeah, go ahead, yeah, go ahead, Carl. I think – 
I think like from the, the get-go, trying to approach looking at our group and going, all right, which subtitled you know, member here are we missing to be a real team? Um, I think that that like, initially right off the bat is just like not what the project is because we're not yeah, trying very to fake. pass for the project, yeah. right? Exactly. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. exactly. See, the whole we're, idea – I don't want to yeah. jump on you, but like, yeah, I, no, no. I, was, I was very put off by the, even the question because I was like – what you're introducing some artificiality into all this, where it's like they need to add someone on the team who just follows them around as a dick. It's like why, why, why would you? You know, that makes no sense. But Carl, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just wanted to throw that in again. Yeah, yeah. No, no worries. It's a good point. Well, and I'm I'm sure for some people too, it even feels that way because the writers gave us Tyler Strand to start off season two. You know, like so it, it feels like yeah, exactly, like yeah, adding characters, but it's. It's a very natural and organic thing. So if, if the writers want to give us a skeptic for next season, I'm sure we would all adapt to it as we go with this story. That said, I think that it's kind of twofold. I think we each kind of carry our own skepticism to some extent about different differing aspects of the case. And you see that in, in some moments uh, when some of us kind of butt heads about stuff or some of us might be more resistant about going down one avenue in favor of another um, just because we're constantly weighing like what's a good lead and what's us forcing something. And I think at the end of the day, at least there's kind of the two sides that are similar, but different of where the investigation is going and what story I'm telling as a part of the Hellier project. Um, I try to keep those things the same, but they have slightly different goals sometimes. And the story I'm telling though, like ultimately I'm, I'm having to keep that grounded enough. I can't let that float away too far. It has to have like an A to B to C kind of a logic yeah. and kind of a drive and ultimately something that hopefully kind of pays off, um, you know, writers willing. So I think that, that, that skepticism at least manifests kind of a grounding, but I think that beyond yeah. that in terms of the activity, like I think a skepticism demands a sort of uh, objective validating empirical sort of thing to happen. And I think that that's not exactly the thread that we're chasing in this. I think we're, we're, ch- we're chasing coincidences, right? These synchronicities. We're chasing right. um, weird leads that pop up and like which leads give us more leads and which ones don't and and ultimately trying to find real human people. And I think at the end of the day, if a skeptic ever put their foot down and said like, no, stop looking into goblins unless someone gives you more photo evidence, would just stop the whole project. So I, I think that there's, you need to be grounded, but I like, as yeah. you said, that we just kind of roll with it. We kind of have to, and that's led to really cool stuff that I don't think we would have found if we were trying to like get an audio recording of Knox in the dark, you know, or else it's not on right. that sort of thing. You know, what's funny is the, and, and, and going on that thread, Carl's absolutely right. The level of, we have to stay grounded on some level. I think this series um, asks a question that no other paranormal series or larger investigation has ever asked and this is an honest, like, no-joke question, is it possible for a supernatural entity to send an email? Where did, the, where did those emails come from? You know, and it sort of, like, becomes this really interesting catfish-type show for people, and I'm right there along with them. Like, I want to – you think I don't want to find this guy? We all do so bad, you know? So, so we'll, we'll keep looking. We're trying. And I think well, it is very weird. When it comes to skepticism – like 
I was just going to jump in and say, like, when it comes to skepticism, God. the phenomenon is here or there. But at the end of the day, we're also looking for, like, a hard answer either way about whether or not David Christie existed, whether or not he made up the story in the first place, whether or not Terry Riss, like, is real or made stuff up. Like, we're looking for those answers still, too. So, like, I think there's a skepticism yeah. in that as well. Well, to, to yeah, jump no, into I, that as well, to add on to what Paul yeah, was saying like initially, uh, into the initial question of like adding skeptics in, I think one of the beauties of this documentary, you, you strip the phenomena aside. I think what resonates with people is that it's a journey of seeing a group of people go through a very humanistic experience of how they process right, their right. own beliefs. And I think right. uh, I think by having someone who's just an anti-belief system doesn't make sense of that. You know, it, when you strip away you the stigma of the word ritual, the reality is ev- most people in their day-to-day lives conduct rituals, whether that be waking up to make a cup of coffee in the morning, whether that be brushing your teeth exactly this many strokes, you know, in order to feel like they're clean. Like we're consistently – a society of people that undergo rituals. And I think that when you put that through the lens of people who are more apt to believe in the paranormal, you see a really interesting progression of people who started off looking for something that may be like goblins, and yet you see these people stretch their belief to a point where they can be open to conducting a ritual to talk to an ancient god. I think that's really significant. And I think if that goes over the audience's head... It's not for them, and I think that's an important factor of why we don't, you know, initially have factors like that in this grouping. Well, it just wouldn't make any sense anyway. It's like you guys pretty much kind of <laughs> came together organically, so why would you add? It's like, you know, the, the CW is going to yeah. make you add a, a skeptical lady on the show. It's like, why? This is a big right. sense. It ruins the well, whole yeah, we're friends. idea we're of the first. project. Uh, well, Terry, let's talk a little bit about Terry Wrist. We'll we'll go to. Uh, let me see here. I got all you guys on the line here, so I got to pick who. Well, Tyler, you're the one who said you wanted to really meet Terry, uh, Terry Wrist, so what would you want to fucking ask him if he could? Oh, my God. I want to know everything he knows. I'd want to know how he tracks down what he tracks down. Um, I think when you talk about the concept of someone like Wrist, if he were to be a real person, he would obviously know some of the deeper inner mechanics of the phenomena at this point. At least it seems like maybe on some fictional level of what he's turned into in our minds, someone who is in the know, someone who may have answers to the things that we're trying to figure out. So, like, if someone like Riss exists, I think he would have answers to questions we don't even know how to ask yet. Uh, So I think it would just be a matter of sitting down and understanding it deeper and hearing it from someone who knows the shit, so to speak. Um, On top of that, uh, we have similar interests uh, fringe interests when it comes to diving in the caverns, so to speak, to look for monsters. Oh, there you go, yeah. <laughs> so it's just exciting. Well, let me ask it's an you, exciting thing to me. Connor, let me ask you this one then. Uh, what do you think of where this pursuit of Terry Wrist has gone, and do you think that you're closer to like identifying a very real person who's behind this whole thing? Because I thought the I found the interview with the guy who thought he met Terry Wrist to be one of the most compelling parts of the program uh, this season. I was yeah. really, really, for some reason, I don't know why, but I thought that was, like, really, really compelling. Um, and, I mean, I can't imagine why the fuck the guys would, would make this all up. So, to me, it was like, this guy really believes he met this dude. 
so I thought that was pretty fascinating. But like, what are your thoughts on you guys' pursuit of Terry Riss? And do you think you'll ever fucking actually find this guy, or will oh, he find I you? Think yeah, I think that that the latter might be more likely, frankly, based off of everything <laughs> we've learned about him. As scary as that is, you know, but it's like he, like Greg said, we'd like to meet him. We want to know. Um, we don't have to necessarily give out his identity or whatever, however that might work. But he's uh, he's a, he's a very interesting person, and we're starting to think he's a real person, and I think we're closer than ever before. I'd like to see him in season three. That would be cool. <laughs> I think we all would like to see him in season three. <laughs> now, I'm sure that kind of segue is good into the whole thing. Like now, uh, I've I often said this about my show, where it was like when I first started doing this, I was doing shows and I didn't know if anyone was listening. Then people started listening. Then a lot of people started listening. And then all of a sudden, too many people were listening, and I was like, now they want more shit. So, so, so. <laughs> Congratulations, gentlemen! You're at the now they want more shit stage of this. You, you probably got there in January anyway, but uh, you know people are going to want more shit. So what is what's the status? What's the what's, what's the plan? Do you have an idea for season three at this point? Uh, uh, I think probably who should I throw that to? Carl, you're the <laughs> filmmaker. So Carl, what's going on with season three? Like you, like you, you just put it out a week ago, and you want to hear. This is how it is, though, brother. This is how it is. We're we're reading on network renewal yet, you know. Um, no. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it it goes back to that that stance we have with the writers, where you know it's a matter of us needing to start the ball rolling and then see where it's going to go. Um, there has been. Within, God, what was it, Craig? Like two days of Hellier coming out, if that. Um, we got some very interesting news uh, that we're really curious to follow up on. Um, uh, just enough that I left on the cutting room floor of season two links up with this new news and kind of could send us on on a new avenue and threat to go down, which is very interesting. And I think we'll probably become the source of the start of season three. Um, but the rest is kind of functional. It's kind of a matter of like at what point, you know, do I have enough money to drive out, out east for two weeks, you know, and then um, at what point is the weather going to be good for that and our schedule is open for that and is, you know, the the attention appropriate enough that we can go and, and do something um, when the, the hype isn't too loud. So it's, it's – despite being kind of an indie project, there's a lot of, like, uh, things to kind of work around from logical space. But I am really excited that it's – I, I think even with the emails coming in, you know, with Greg telling me right after we wrapped season one, right? Uh, John Tenney was telling us just the day before uh, I was driving uh, with him to Detroit, he was talking about how this phenomena, it wants engagement and it wants possibility. And so the moment you try to put a period into the sentence or close the door on it, it's going to come back with like two more heads and go, nope, keep playing, you know, like keep being creative and keep having possibilities. And I think that we found that the moment that we hit go on season two being published which was kind of like the biggest moment of like all right that's done like we get the next kind of lesson to follow up on so i, I think the writer yeah. is certainly not not done yet <laughs> i don't know if you can hear that british lady but we'll we're going to keep recording after the thing ends and I'll, I'll i'll send you all off soon don't worry i promise uh but <laughs> So for folks listening live, obviously the show is on Amazon Prime right now. 
and the it'll be free on YouTube next week, Friday the 13th. Um, yep. Are you guys – I don't want to ask this. This is kind of like a very tasteless question, but everybody gets fucking attacked in this field. So, like, are you guys getting rich off of this hell your thing? So <laughs> tell me now so I can fucking get in on season three. No, sir. Uh, I think right. the fact alone that we're so stupid as to release our project on YouTube two weeks after it has a chance to actually make money shows exactly. we're we're too dumb to make money, Tim. <laughs> that makes sense. Just make a movie I when mean, you get the chance. Yeah. Jesus. Well, we no, but are. it's funny, like Are's yeah. Listen, we have it's a like, project. Oh, it's fake. Why been... would they fake this shit? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Honestly, like let's let's go down that path for a second because this is always fascinating to me. So let's assume that we made this up, right? We're a group of creatives, you know. We're Connor's in a band. Uh, Carl Carl has written novels. He's a filmmaker. He's a storyteller. Uh, we've got uh, Tyler is a is a fantastic artist. You know, we're storytellers. We're creatives. Don't you think we'd have found something a little more interesting than a tin can after the first season? And now, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, season season two. Look at season two, please. If there are people who still think that we're making this up, I'm just going to take it as a compliment at this point because I don't know. I'm sorry, guys. I don't think any of us are smart enough <laughs> to have done the type of stuff that comes up in season two. It's yeah. insane. It's pretty it wild. To the point where it just where Occam's True. Razor has to say it's less likely that we would have been able to do this. So that I think is funny to me. Like that's all. That's all kind of laughable. Plus, there's the fact that like people can't really go. Well, we're trying to get rich off this because we're giving it away for free. I mean, honestly, one of the biggest parts about putting it out on Prime is to help recoup costs because it's yeah. you know it's a very it's it's not cheap to make. It's cheap compared to studio standards, but we're like five dudes. You know, we're just we're five people making this thing because we really love it right. and we want we want the message of Hellier to spread, and that's the whole point. Um, would we? I would love to get a dump truck of cash backed up at the house, but I don't think that's as important as as telling this story to as many people as possible and showing as many people as possible. And I mean, I would love to hope that a network, uh, whether it's a streaming network, would would come and say, listen, we want season three and we want to help you guys fund it. And if they met the right qualifications, which is like, okay, then let us continue to do what we're yeah, doing. Yeah, just give us a bunch of money and get the fuck out of the way, pretty much. The, and then, <laughs> right? Yeah, we can do this. And, and, I think we'll, that's and we'll bring in the viewers, man. Proven. That's kind of the thing. Season, you know, get, exactly. Give us money, get and out of the way, two, and we'll bring the viewers. Season two is proving that we can do that. And hopefully that provides data that we could give to a network later on and say, okay, trust us, and we will make you money, and you can support our art, and we'll have a great relationship. Uh, that, that's ideal. I think that's the ideal situation. Um, but uh, whether that happens or not, I don't know. I, I don't know. It'd be great. But uh, the, the short answer is – we are definitely, definitely not getting rich off of hell here. All right. Well, you know, like I said, 
these people are fucking ridiculous, man. They're insane. They don't understand how things work. Oh, for sure. They're like, oh, they're making a ton of money well, off this. It's like, how are well, they? Listen, to what, what? How are they? How are they making a ton of money off this? The town of Hellier is probably making more money off of Hellier than Hellier people are. I'm sure people are buying lots of pizza at the gas station. Yeah. Has there been any blowback from Hellier being associated now with this another season? Are they like enough already with us? Leave us alone. I mean, there's always Correct. people like that. Sure. Yeah. There's always there's always going to be a, a bit of that, and we sort of brace for that. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's. I, I think we can't really help it because that's where this stuff is happening, and there's yeah. no way around it. Like we can't mask the we can we can we can mask addresses, we can blur houses, um, you know, we can work around uh, singling people out because we don't want to hassle anybody. But we can't hide the name of the town. Like that just that just can't happen. Right, exactly. That's part of it. Um, and I think, my, personally, I would hope that people would do what Point Pleasant did and embrace their monsters, embrace That'd be them, great, yeah. and and the, and celebrate them because I think that's really that's the best option for everybody. Just celebrate your monsters. Celebrate your monsters. All right, we'll leave it at that. Let me do. We'll go down the list here. Uh, Carl, what do you have going on now? Now that Hell Year Two is out, what are you going to be working on? Just kind of sitting back and uh, filming and watching whatever might be Hell Year Three. Yeah, basically, um, Greg and Dana are kind of like two of my key projects. Um, so I've got another uh, feature-length documentary project in the works with them. Uh, Hell Year Three developing. Um, I, I've I had to put on pause halfway through the uh, the series of mini docs I was doing of uh, the Euphemet podcast that we were releasing on the Planet Weird uh, YouTube channel. So I got to get back and edit the rest of those and get those put out, and then uh, kind of see where the next year takes me and and how kind of hell your two does in terms of funding season three travel and uh, how fast we can kind of get back on that horse. All right, nice. Sounds good, uh, Connor. Somebody left the conversation, so I don't know who we lost. But Connor, if you're there, uh, what do you what do you have coming yeah. up, man? I'm doing. Uh, I'm staying within the Planet Weird sphere as well. We're going to keep working on stuff, and then we. Uh, I might, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm. I've talked for like a two years now. Craig and Carl rolled their eyes about maybe doing my own little web series just to have my own thing. That's that's separate. You should as well. have a podcast, also, man. Uh, you got a voice. You got a voice, brother. You well, should do a podcast. You. Thank you. <laughs> I. Uh, yeah, and then I'm I'm uh I disappear for five months every year to go work at the legislature so that I can pay my bills, and then I'll be done with that in May and hit the ground running with uh, monster hunting again. All right, brother, sounds good. Where can folks find you on Twitter? What's your best? What's your yeah problem? Twitter? I'm at Connor J Randall everywhere. There you go. So, it's uh, Twitter. Hit me up. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks yep, for coming yep, on the I'm... show. Uh, sorry I came so late. Uh, well, we came halfway through, so we had a good time chatting. And uh, I appreciate it. Congratulations on what has been an outstanding uh, show. Appreciate it. All yeah, right. Thanks for having us. Who else do we have here? Greg, are you here? I think can you hear Greg. me? I can hear. Who is this? Yeah. Greg? Oh, this is Tyler. This oh. is Tyler. Oh, Tyler. What's going on, buddy? All right. We have to wrap up the show, pal. So where what are you doing next? After uh, you know the premiere of Hellier Two, what do you what do you have going on? 
We're going to go follow you. Well, I'm going to continue jumping in the caves looking for goblins. But apart from that, I'm going to continue working on my artwork. I'm actually a special makeup and effects artist. Um, So if anyone's curious about seeing my adventures and my art endeavors, you can find me on Instagram, which is very active, at blackwolf26 or t underscore stranded at Twitter. I'd love to hear anything and everything from anyone curious enough to give me their attention. That's very nice of you, Al. I thought you did a great job in the series, man. I was uh, I was joking with the guys at first. I was like, "Who is this guy? <laughs> you brought well, it well, on the show." The here's, here's what's funny about that, as well as, um, and, and I hope your viewers understand this too. As much as I can be perceived as a wild man, at the end of the day, I am also a diligent researcher, and I, you know, no, I was screen, impressed by the shit I, you I dug up, man. Level head. Yeah. <laughs> No, I was I was really impressed by the shit you dug up, and that was kind of like what, what kind of won me over. I'm, at first, I was joking with the guys. I'm like, this guy's like kind of a bro. I'm like, oh, it's cause why would you bring that bro guy in? And then all of a sudden, it's it was so like, oh, actually, I, he's kind of a nerd, so he's cool. Yeah, it's weird. I, I walk a really strange line. I, it's like I, I'm really not I'm really not someone who follows that bro like mindset. I just I do get excited, though, for sure. Um, I do have a drive for adventure, but it's only because it's only because these topics speak so strongly to my core and my soul. Um, yeah, but, but I, I really do. I, I I really do try and walk a balance. I think it's healthy to have a balance of having a good research mind, but also having a, a boldness and an adventure mind too to get you into the physical space. That's what I try to do. All right, sounds good, man. And right, we got more people can find you, so. All right, I think I've let everyone go now. So on that note, this has been Banal of America, Hell Your After Party. Too many guests. Oh, my God. I can barely keep track of everybody. Big thanks to Greg Newkirk, Connor Randall, Carl Pfeiffer, and Tyler Strand for all calling in over the course of uh, the last two-plus hours. Jesus, what a wild ride. Uh, I We already spoiled Hell Your, too, for everybody uh, who's been listening. But if you haven't checked it out, please do. It is fantastic, and you'll understand all the references we made over the course of the last couple hours. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This is Sibinol signing off. Talk to you.